you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Eric the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And we have got um, a, just a lot of people here, okay? <laughs> um, I think it's Brent Squared. I think it's what he's called, like Brent 2.0. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I know that J-Mac is on tap. I know that Sweet Victory is here because I'm looking at her across the room, but she's eating. She's not really doing anything, so I don't even know oh. if I should if I should publicly acknowledge her. <laughs> I mean, no, you usually acknowledge hard, the people. No, I know it's so bad. <laughs> she's been working so hard here at NRB. We're in Orlando, and here's one of the here's what happens. So behind the scenes, not only is there broadcasting that's taking place, but there are also interviews, and there are also um, connections that are being made which will be future interviews and you will hear them on this network. So also what we do with the marriage family and life uh, conference, she is making connections for that. And so there's a lot of stuff. So I am 100% joking and I'm only joining in because her brother is giving her a hard time. And I feel like (laughs) if your brother's making fun of you, then I can make fun of you. And so I just wanted to join in with that today on the program. Thanks to the hard work of Sweet Victory, we have Alan Parr and Mike Ferris coming up (laughs) in just a little bit. We're going to talk about the future of free speech and uh, religious broadcasting when we have Mike Ferris on in the last segment. His name is just synonymous with defending parents' rights to educate their kids at home and 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 defending and protecting first amendment rights. Yeah. And so I think it's just kind of a no-brainer. It's like an easy fit to see that he would be at the helm in ensuring that religious broadcasters know what our rights are and that through the organization NRB mm. that there's somebody working to see where those rights would be curtailed yeah. uh, or hindered. And so anyway, we're going to talk to him about that. I know um even just today that the Daily Wire Plus announced that all of their programming, and I'm going to throw this out to Mike and see what he what he thinks about this, but that all of their programming is going to be offered for free streaming on Twitter. So this is only made possible because of Elon Musk taking because over. Because right? because he Twitter bought it. was <laughs> was ruthless. Twitter for setting everyone was the down. projects when it came to <laughs> talking about free speech. Like nobody was going there. But um bum. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, no, but but Elon Musk bought it. And so yeah. I think that's really interesting. Like you think about that, that the only way you could turn around a platform was to buy it. Now, not many Americans are going to be able to just no. be like, you know what? I want a place where I can speak freely, so I'm going to buy it. Just throw you know? down a few billions. I mean, my <laughs> goodness. What was it, like $44 billion oh, or something like that? Like, I mean, just not many people have that kind of petty cash lying around where exactly. they can just – and I know he didn't either. He had to move some things and all of that. I, I remember when it was all going down. But my point is, and which I think is concerning, is that in order for Elon Musk to fix what he thought was broken – he had to buy it. Right. And so I just don't see many of us doing that. So I want to talk about the implications of that and what that means for broadcasters in America and the future of broadcasting. And then here you've got, um, you add to that, the Daily Wire Plus. Um, I know that several of their hosts have 
had content yanked from YouTube, Matt mm. Walsh being one of them, and then there are, I want to say, two or three others that are in, in that line. And, and the Daily Wire, in their fashion, they are saying, okay, what? So we're moving, and we don't care about the loss of money. I think that's what historically has been the carrot. Yeah. It's like, so you're not going to get all of the ad revenue. You're not going to get – I think I saw an article – where Matt Walsh said that YouTube tried to threaten him or to lure him with the loss of $100,000 a month. <laughs> wow. <laughs> $100,000 a, a month, month a is month? what he was making off of his YouTube oh my ad revenue and, and streaming his content on YouTube. Wow. And, and he said, okay, so go ahead and keep it because you can't have – my soul, like is what he said, you know, well, which, go ahead. and, and so, and to <laughs> that, that I'm just like, well, what would they have let you done for 50,000? I'm just kidding. I'm, that's a joke. I'm joking. That's totally a joke. But it's just, it's incredible to think about what kind of money is being made, number one, on yeah. YouTube, but then how it's being used to control people's speech, right. to, to hamper, to silence uh, people's communication. And I'm grateful for people who say, no, you can't have my communication. You can't have my integrity. I think yeah. that's just absolutely stellar. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, talk about the future of that. And then also just now walked into the room. We're excited that we're going to have in the next segment, Alan Parr. You know him. You watch YouTube videos. He's helped you with your apologetics. He's helped you defend the faith. You know you watched one of his videos and then went and had a conversation with a cousin. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're going to talk to him um, not only about the new book that he has out, but also the future of his YouTube channel. We watched a recent video where he was yeah. talking about how he was going to kind of slow down just a little bit. And we'll talk about um, why that's important. Uh, the big thing, though, is we'll talk about discerning truth mm. in the age that we're living in. Amen. And I, I, I am so grateful for content creators who understand how important it is for us to know the truth right. and to be able to defend it. I mean, yeah. yes, it's great for us to kind of, you know, lament together yeah. that there are so many people who are rejecting truth today. Right. But it's even better for us to respond to those who are rejecting truth, yeah. things like so-called progressive Christianity, mm. um, those subtle things that we have allowed to infiltrate the church, that when we take a step back and we look at it, we say, that's not biblical. That's mm. not biblical. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And I was just going to say it's, it's a uh, proof that those uh, platforms can be used for good, you know, helping out in apologetics and things like yes. that. Because there's a lot of bad that can go out and be done, but there's a lot of good as well. So, so okay, um, this just in, well, a couple of things. Last night at the conference, the opening session of the conference, um, Abraham Hamilton III mm -hmm. spoke, which was incredible, right? Like, I mean, it's just really, really neat um, to, to hear him and to see how many people were blessed by his encouragement. Um, but then also on last night, uh, Brother Franklin Graham spoke, and and then also, let me see, um, there was someone else. I'm forgetting. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we're in Florida. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was Ron, Ron DeSantis himself. And so this was really cool because we got to sit in and, and hear this with all of our kids. Yeah. And I watched J.D., our 13-year-old. Oh, What was he my, doing? I, he I was that. the room was dark, so it's really difficult for you because you were way on the other end. <laughs> yeah, and, I was on and the end. Yeah. We've got six kids between us, right? <laughs> so so anyway, this kid was eating this up. He was <laughs> dialed in. 
He was leaning in. And here's the thing. He was clapping at the right moments. <laughs> okay. So first I thought, okay, because he's 13. I thought, is he doing that because everyone else is clapping? Like, is it just sort of the moment? Right, right. And so, so as soon as Ron DeSantis was done speaking to religious broadcasters last night in Florida. Okay, we're in Orlando. As soon as Ron DeSantis was done, J.D. leans over to me and he says, Mom, Mom. Has he already announced that he's running for president? Is he running for president? Is he actually, do you actually know? And I said, no, he's not officially announced. People are expecting that soon. And, and today we're learning that it's, it's expected to come on Wednesday, that tomorrow, tomorrow night yeah. that he's going to announce. Interestingly enough, uh, during an interview with Elon Musk, <laughs> Elon I don't Musk know is what, like, what is he, going, like how did become this happen? Like, you know, how did this, the I, go-to what, person. How for- did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever do Babylon be a solid? Like, is he a believer? We don't know. <laughs> right. We don't yeah, know man, what's on. going on. Okay. Um, but he's, he's going to be announcing during a live appearance on Twitter well, you know, with Elon Musk. I think being like the richest or one of the richest <laughs> men on earth probably I has something to do. think he's the richest. Yeah. You know? So I, I think, think that I carries some weight with it. But you okay. Know? So Crazy. let's let's explore you know. this. So anyway, I, I just want to say this. Everything that our 13-year-old heard from Ron DeSantis last night mm-hmm. was very encouraging. And basically what Ron DeSantis did was go through – uh, just listing everything that he's done in Florida to yeah. make Florida incredible. Yeah. I mean, he went through, I mean, from top to bottom, talking about the types of reforms and the types of changes that his state have, has in, uh, instituted or implemented to make this a great state. And I think the thought is that if he could do that in Florida with measurable change, inarguably, like that there's been distinct change in Florida, right. the question then becomes what could he do um, in a nation like the United States of America, like what could he yeah, do? Yeah, and that's the big question. Countrywide, and, and it seems promising that you could do some things, you know. But you know, even with events like that, I feel like you got to know your audience, and he knew his audience. Well, and, that's true. But everything know, he said, he everything did. He's he said, done. He, he's done. But I've been to other big events yeah. with people who was running for a president, and okay. they knew their audience, and the audience was fired okay, up. But here's the thing. So, <laughs> so I mean, I think so. You know, I think historically there are some places where there are people who have known their audience uh-huh. and they have responded in such a way show as to, uh, so as to show that they knew their audience, but they also didn't have a track record. You couldn't test True. whether or not well, what they were saying was just pie in the sky yeah. or were they really going to do that. And I think with DeSantis, the difference might be, curious mm-hmm. to know your thoughts yeah, here, yeah, yeah. that not only did he know the NRB audience, Right, but he also was speaking factually of the things. Well, he's he done. was talking about the things that that he had done. Uh, you know, all his administration has done in Florida. So, yeah. yeah, of course. So, yeah, he had backing of you know a track record that was like, yeah, I did this, we did this, we did this. And It'll so be interesting. That says a lot. It'll be interesting. You know? That says a lot. So, so there's a lot of buzz about the big contenders. That are now throwing their 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 hat. Yes, so Tim Scott is. We had an opportunity to hear Tim Scott in person. Yeah, yeah. Pretty dynamic communicator. He will have you know some um, opportunity to talk about what he has been in favor of in his time serving uh, in the Senate, and and I I think that will be interesting to see. But I think as far as like you know leadership goes, I I think a lot of people think that this nomination on the Republican side of things, I think the nomination comes, people think, my observation, (laughs) and I think too, that the nomination (laughs) comes down to 
uh, is it Trump or DeSantis? Now, I, that does not mean that everyone else does not have a fair shot. And in fact, they should take that running very seriously. Right, right. Um, yeah. But I, I think that's what I many that's people what are people thinking. Feel. Right. Yeah. And, and I, we don't know what's going on on the Joe Biden side. So we don't know if that know nomination if comes down to <laughs> Joe Biden <laughs> or a mannequin. Like people don't know. Like they don't. I'm sorry, guys. Anyway, um, but I think it's interesting that there's a lot of information people coming out to show him, the shadiness. Though. And they should yeah. because there's a lot of information coming out to show the uh, shadiness of the Biden family and the Biden administration. And I think there's a reason that we are finally being allowed to know that information. What's the As reason? I, well, because I think they have no use for him anymore. Ah, okay. And so I think that because they have no use for him, the Democrat Party, they have no use for him. Um, I think they are kind of allowing him to outrun their protection, their okay. collective protection, and which would point to their control over all of the media and all of the information that we are allowed to know and talk yeah. about. And so anyway, I mean, of course, what do I know? I'm just a homeschooling mom. But <laughs> from what I observe, what I watch, um, I think it's going to be interesting. I think we'll be watching um, to see how things start to shape up. Here's another question for mm. you, just because we're fresh off of hearing Ron DeSantis last night. Um, another question for you is, do you think that um, do you think that Donald Trump is going to take gloves off when dealing with Ron DeSantis? Is is he gonna? Are we gonna have like those little hands moments? Like, are we gonna yes. have the type of? It's gonna be. A, there's gonna be a lot of pettiness, a lot. Yeah. Like, I don't think he knows any other way. Okay. So, so he's gonna do what he feels like worked for him. Yeah. I think it's gonna backfire on him because oh. I think DeSantis is <laughs> kind of you know he's he's smart. So I think I think the thing is he he's gonna feel like this is what works for me. I'm okay. A, I'm a fighter. I'm a street fighter. I do you know. But I don't know if it's – I think Here's some people thing, are tired of that. Here's the thing honestly. that I think I he's know. going to have to uh, pay attention to, Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump is going to have to pay attention to whether or not people want him to beat up Ron DeSantis. And yeah. I don't think he really had to care a whole lot about that in the past. Like, right. I think there were people that people were like, yeah, get him. Right. But I think with Ron DeSantis, I think there's more of a question of like, wait a minute. But look – but he's actually done some really great things here. We don't really want you to punch him in the nose. Right. Yeah. I don't know that that I makes a difference for gonna, Donald Trump, though. Play out. But President Trump has a great chance to be the nominee again. Yeah, he does. You know, it just depends on how he navigates things. Yeah, so. and I think it'll be telling to see also what um, what Ron DeSantis does, like if he returns or if he responds in kind or if he takes a higher ground so as not to alienate Trump voters because there's, you know, I don't know. There's just a lot to it that we'll have to just watch to see how it all goes. Yeah. All right. This is day two from NRB in Orlando, Florida. We will take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side of that break, we've got Ellen Parr. So make sure you stay close. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. I, I kind of tried to come back just a little bit easy because I like when the beat comes in on this song. <laughs> I don't want to put Brent on the spot, but I just kind of feel like it. Brent not feeling it. He just he like kind of. 
I feel like it's a little bit better than he gave it credit. Like he just kind of like Mike's hot. Go. <laughs> I'm like, hold on, it's Trip Lee. Like we're coming back to Trip. Like just let us kind of ease into it, okay? Give me a second. Oh, so man. anyway, welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We're broadcasting live and direct from Orlando. This mm-hmm. is the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Now this is a dramatic shift, but it doesn't have to be. It depends on what Alan Parr does. <laughs> it could be a smooth transition, okay? Like we were talking about politics. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> He's like, uh, excuse me, ministry, discerning, scripture. I'm like, yeah, right, politics. No, I'm just kidding. All of that's necessary. Alan Parr joins us now. He is a national speaker, YouTuber, author, and ordained minister, husband and father. And he's the co-founder, along with his wife, Jennifer, of Let's Equip, a nonprofit organization that equips Christians and Christian organizations with courses and curriculum to aid in biblical literacy, which Lord knows we need all the biblical literacy we can get today. (laughs) He's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, where he earned his Master of Theology degree in 2004. And we are here to talk about, thank you so much. Thank you so much, brother. It's like right here, the unseen hand. (laughs) We are here to talk about his book, Misled, Seven Lies That Distort the Gospel, and then also want to talk about his uh, YouTube channel, The Beat. Now, I hate to ask you this question because I did watch the most recent video, where you are so honest and so raw about like getting caught up and allowing your identity to be in that channel. But I do want our listeners to kind of get an idea. So when we go into that, people, they know who you are. And I say that humbly, <laughs> not in a way to like fan of a flame, right? But how many subscribers do, do you have on your channel? Yeah. So first of all, thank you for having me here. Oh, hey, and, Alan, uh, welcome to the program. That. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Sorry. Yes. Uh, well, we recently, by God's grace, we just passed over a million subscribers oh. on YouTube about a month ago, a month and a half ago. So God's been gracious to us and we've been doing this for, we have say my wife, because yes, my absolutely. wife was been integral in this whole process. And so um, a million subscribers in a little over seven years. Yeah, no, I appreciate whenever you say by God's grace, it's a buffer. It helps you to not like just kind of lean in like I did this, right? right? It's the Lord's grace, truly. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I appreciate about your channel is that you do have a large number of subscribers, but you are like teaching hard truth. And so to me, it's a blessing to see that because like you could have a YouTube channel that's fairly large, but it could be all cotton candy and fluff. And one of the issues that you had was that whenever there was like this pop cultural phenomenon, everybody's like flocking for that. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to go back to that. Okay, okay, I can't wait to talk about okay, that. Okay, <laughs> because it's so, so good. Yes. I want to talk about the ministry that the Lord has entrusted to you. Like talk about the importance of teaching people to discern truth and to read the Bible in context. How did you kind of get into that vein? Yeah, so um, really a lot of it came out of my own personal experience of being uh, caught up in a variety of different churches over the years that were teaching uh, false doctrine. And because at the time, particularly in college, I was a new believer. I didn't have the discernment to know what was true, what was not. It all sounded like it was was truth because, Mm. I mean, when we go to church and we hear a pastor and they have this amazing personality, and they're using the scripture in their sermons, we just assume, well, what this man is saying must be true. And so um, I kind of fell into that in college and uh, unfortunately led me down a path for about four years or so. When I was in a church, it was a toxic, unhealthy environment that I didn't quite know how to get out of once I started seeing the differences between what I was reading in the word and what was coming from the pulpit. I started to realize, wow, these are two different things. But even then, it was very difficult for me to get out. And so now, 
fast forward almost 30 years later, I can't believe I'm giving my age like that, but almost 30 <laughs> years later, and now I'm here on my YouTube channel and I'm reading the comments from my uh, subscribers and I'm seeing that many of them are in the exact same place I was. They're convinced that their church is right. They're convinced that this is true and they're taking scriptures out of context and my heart is like, you know what? Wow. I really need to do something to help people discern truth from error. You know what's interesting, something that you just said, Alan, that that I think so many of our listeners would resonate with is that it was easy for you, or easier, let me say it that way, it was easier for you to recognize where there were these biblical inconsistencies, where you're hearing something taught, but then when you go to read God's word, you're like, "Mm, but that's not what it says. It was easier to recognize that than it was to actually get out. I think there are so many people who, when you just said that, they were like, that's me. Mm -hmm. Like, I know this is not right, but this is one of several things. My tradition, my family's a part of this church. I've Mm -hmm. been here for so long. Where do I go if I leave? And so how did you get to the place where you were like, okay, this is wrong. And I know it's wrong, and, and I, I can't stay here any longer. Well, so much of it is unfortunate because a lot of what happens in some of these churches is a lot of spiritual manipulation. Yeah. And they're using fear tactics and different things to kind of keep you bound. It's, it's quite frankly a lot like being in a bad relationship with yeah. somebody who's abusing you. Spiritual abuse is very, very similar because wow. even though you know you're being abused, it's hard for you to leave your abuser. Yeah. Because if the pastor is telling you that I'm your spiritual covering and that God isn't going to bless you if you leave this church until it's time for me to tell you to leave, oh. right? Because until I'm you're your spiritual until, until you're released, <laughs> until, you're released right? from until this I church. release you oh, because man. I'm your spiritual covering. And if you don't listen to what I'm saying, you're operating in um, you know in error or you're being disobedient yeah. or whatever the, the terms that they give you. So. You kind of feel like, and not only that, much like an abuser, they show you just enough love to make you think, but wait a second, maybe this person loves me. Maybe this pastor loves me because maybe they take you out to dinner or mm-hmm. give you certain things mm-hmm. or they let you serve in a ministry that you want to serve in or that you have all these different things. And so you almost feel like, man, I know there's something wrong and I need to leave, mm-hmm. but man, my family is here. I'm getting chances to preach here. Yeah. I'm being affirmed here. And it's just hard to break away. Yeah. You know? Now, like, Talk to the people who at the same time are like, okay, well, that's great for you guys that you recognize in the Bible that that was inconsistent. Um, But like, I haven't recognized that. So like, I'm not a Bible scholar and I don't really know how to understand when a scripture is being taken out of context. What tips or what encouragement or what tools do you have that are in your book that our listeners will benefit from when it comes to discerning the truth of God's word? Yeah. So, I mean, the nice thing about it was whenever I was in that environment, I wasn't a Bible scholar. I had never been to seminary either. Mm. Um, But I think that if we encourage people to read the Bible for themselves and we do as the Berean church did in Acts chapter 17, where it says they researched the word of God to see if what was being said was actually true. You know, all you do is listen to your pastor's sermon and then go home and read it for yourself. Look at that text and ask yourself, wow, are the verses that were shared here in context or taken out of context. So one of the principles is just context. You know, what what came before, what came after it? One of the examples that I always give is that you go to any football game and you're going to see a sign that says Philippians 4.13 because, you know, that person wants their team to win and when they're down 50 (laughs) points in the fourth quarter, somebody's going to hold up a sign, oh, we can do all things through Christ who give us strength. And I'm like, that sounds good and it feels good. But at the end of the day, 
you know, do you think the Apostle Paul had, you know, the New Orleans Saints in mind? <laughs> you know, hey, uh, he might have. Okay, all right. I don't know if not, <laughs> did you research us? I did not. Do you know we're from New Orleans? I did not. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. That's the gift of prophecy right there. Yes, indeed. Oh, this is I'm from Steel. I'm, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, but, okay. but you know, I, I got love for my, my, my Saints fans. But it's like, you know, we, 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 we think that, okay, well, um, you know, we can just use this verse to apply it for right, whatever we want right. because it sounds good. So, you know, we have to look at context. We have to look at cross-reference. What does the rest of the Bible have to say yes. about this? If I'm confused about this verse, what does the rest of the Bible have to say about that? And then consultation, right? Looking at commentaries, Bible dictionaries, so concordances, good. encyclopedias to see if what God has shown other people yeah. is similar to what I think it means or what my pastor has said. Yeah, you know, I think there are so many resources. And the things that you've just kind of listed for us here I think historically we would have said, yeah, that makes sense. I can do that. But I think, and I want to get your take on this, Alan. I think that we are dealing with a lot of laziness in the church. Mm. And, I, and I don't mean to be ugly. You know <laughs> what I mean when I say that? Because I, I, want to, I want to show the love of the Lord to people who are like desperate. But at a certain point, it's like if you have like a plate of food at the end of the, the room and you say, I'm desperately hungry. Like you're, you want to say to the person, go get that. Right? So like... How do we remedy that in the church? Yeah, well, I think there's, I think there's a dual responsibility, yeah. right? I think on one hand, there's a responsibility for the individual members of the church to say, you know what, I need to make sure that I'm doing my part to be a student of the Word of God, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's kind of like when you have a child who is in high school, they have to have the responsibility to study and to do their homework and do the things. But there's also a responsibility for the teacher to make sure that the teacher is doing their job to properly teach the student. So if the teacher is teaching well and the student has a good work ethic, then most of the time that student's going to do well academically. It's the same with the church. I can want all day long to learn how to study the Bible, but I don't know how. So Mm -hmm. if I'm a member of your church, pastor, do you have some tools for me? Do you have a class for me? Do you have an institute? Do you have an equipping center? Do you have some sort of discipleship plan that will help me get from being a baby Christian to a spiritual Christian so that I can be able to discern truth from error. And I think that a lot of churches, to be honest with you, we're failing in this area of discipleship. We've got plans for everything else, small group discipleship. We've got small groups. We've got uh, capital stewardship campaigns Mm -hmm. to get more buildings. But when it comes to like an actual plan to help people grow spiritually, a lot of churches, that's just not a priority. Yep, and it shows, and it shows, (laughs) right? Why? Okay, right. Like so so yes, this is a great way to segue into talking about our favorite topic, discipleship, living life with people who love Jesus, providing tools for them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. It is dirty, it's messy. Mm-hmm. We can be offended by one another. I mean, to get into in, into someone's business and say, "Hey, actually the Bible condemns that." Like you can't live that way and still profess to be a Christian does not make people smile at you when you walk into a room. What among these reasons, and maybe there are others, don't we engage in robust discipleship in the church? Like, what are some of the reasons that we're not doing that? Well, I think, um, you know, when we talk about, you know, some of the things that the church needs to focus their attention Mm -hmm. on, right? We want people to, you know, serve and we want them to volunteer. So we have a plan in place for how are we going to take people who just joined to actually be actively involved in serving church, okay? We also need to be, build buildings, right? Because we're running out of space and we got people coming, so we got to make sure we have a plan for that. 
We got to make sure that people feel welcome and feel connected, right? Because we're a large mega church, and so people are going to leave. So how do we do that? Okay, we have to have a small group. And so when you start having all these different things, the question becomes, okay, but where does discipleship fit in? Mm-hmm. You know, where is that? And I think that takes way more intentionality. Yes. It takes a plan. It takes training because yes. you got to train people up to know how how should you disciple somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you start thinking about those things and I'll combine that with the fact that, unfortunately, we're living in a time where, and this is the saddest reality, that many churches have bought into the lie that the Bible just doesn't work anymore, right? Mm. The Bible is not relevant anymore. And that's why we see in the 80s and 90s, whenever I was growing up, you saw pastors using a lot of scripture in their sermons. And that's they would right. teach from the Bible. We yes. even had Sunday school. Yes, yeah. We grew right. up in Sunday right. school, right? right? But nowadays, we don't have Sunday school. No. And many pastors, not all pastors, there's many that teach the Word of God faithfully, but you have many of them. But you go to a church, and 90% of their sermon is stories, oh humor, Come on. Uh, illustrations, props, and they might throw two or three verses in there. Right. Mm-hmm. So if they're not prioritizing oh the Word of God in their sermons, yeah. how are we going to expect the members to actually get into the Word for themselves? Oh, my goodness. Okay, folks, you are listening to Alan Parr. The book <laughs> is Misled, Seven Lies That Distort the Gospel. Where can our listeners get a copy of the book? Yeah, so they can go to misledbook.com, which is a landing page, misledbook.com. And uh, on that page, there's specific links that they can go and get it from any of their favorite booksellers, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, ChristianBook.com. And we actually have a free gift that we're giving them as well. There's a free Bible study course that we're going to put in your hands for free. Fantastic. All you have to do is just purchase the book, show uh, proof of, uh, of purchase, put the little order number in there. Fill out a form, and uh, we will send you login details to a course that will help you learn how to study the Bible. I want to encourage our listeners to also check out your YouTube channel. And this, I want to segue in the next couple of minutes that we have before we go to the break. I want to segue into talking about that channel. It's called The Beat, and uh, we really appreciate the videos that you produce. These videos do not insult you intellectually and or theologically, and I really appreciate the time that you put into them. But they... We're taking a lot of time. And you recently had a video where you said, hey, I'm going to pull back a little bit. And as you do, you kind of systematically went through, here are the four reasons why. And then you laid those all out. I thought it was incredibly vulnerable of you. We were sitting, we were watching this. And and then we talked about it. And we thought, man, this is so instructive for the church, especially being caught up in the social media hype. Talk a little bit about the state of your channel right now and what the Lord kind of laid on your heart. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, the channel is growing, and it's interesting because, um, you know, you would think that at a time right now where the God is really blessing the channel and it's growing, you would think, well, this is the worst time to pull back, mm-hmm. right? Because we got all this momentum. Let's keep cranking out content and doing things like that. But God has really laid it on my heart. I'm not sure if we're going to have a chance to talk more about this, but God has really laid it on my heart to really take a step back and focus more on my family focus more on my marriage, focus Mm. more on my own personal health, mental health, uh, emotional health, because trying to um, deal with the ups and downs of YouTube and fighting the algorithm and trying to get views and coming up with topics to get people to click and things like that can be a very, very difficult thing to deal with. So I decided um, to reprioritize the things that are most important for me, making sure that my kids don't feel like you know, they grew up with a dad who was more interested in YouTube oh, and traveling all on. over the country speaking and doing conferences than, you know, taking my kid 
in the backyard playing baseball with yeah. him or throwing the football with him or, or doing gymnastics with my daughter. And my wife doesn't feel like she's getting, you know, the leftovers from me as well. So yeah. I'm thankful that the Lord showed this to me early in my marriage and early in my fathering journey. Mm-hmm. So that way I can focus on what needs to be focused on. Alan, thank wow. you so much. I really do appreciate your ministry. We do. We, we're, we we're out of time. Yeah. Um, but we would like to have you on yeah. again. And maybe if we don't do it in person, maybe you can call in and just kind of talk to us. The body of Christ is in desperate need of truth being exalted again in our midst. And we need to, this is a joke, we need to make the Bible great again, right? Like we need to go back to God's word and say, no, that's enough. That's enough. It's not the illustrations. It's not the pop cultural references that seem to be tantalizing and people want that. It is God's word and that it's totally sufficient. So thank you so much. Before we go, let our listeners know how they can connect with you. Yeah, the easiest way is to just go to my YouTube channel, The Beat by Alan Parr, or go to my website, alanparr.com. All right, this is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. When we come back on the other side of the break, Mike Ferris, he's here. I'm just making sure. Okay, great. Okay, so we'll be right back on the other side. Stay right there. Welcome back to Erin the Addison's. Oh, I should have waited for that. There was a beat in there. I'm sorry. I just it was taking forever. And we've got Mike Ferris here. Like I, I feel like we can't just like you seize we, the moment. We could have a worship moment though. It's like I'm okay. It's like no thanks. He's like I'm. <laughs> I'm just a man. <laughs> I didn't mean of you. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh. oh, man. This is how you know it's going to be a great interview. Okay. All right. Mike Ferris is joining us. He is now serving as general counsel for the National Religious Broadcasters yeah. Convention Organization, NRB. Yes. All of the above. I want to say. <laughs> right. And we're talking about, actually, what I would like to do, I feel like so many of our listeners recognize your name, and your name is synonymous with protecting and defending the rights of parents to educate their kids at home. We have six kids. We educate them at home, so we're so grateful. We are members of HSLDA. Yeah. And so, um, but now you are turning your attention to helping to defend and protect the rights of religious broadcasters to continue speaking freely and recognizing that we've got certain First Amendment rights that are being curtailed daily. So talk about your new position with NRB. Well, thank you so much. I, uh, uh, for the last six years, I, I transferred from HSLDA to being the president of Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a great organization. We were involved as co-counsel with Mississippi in the Dobbs case. Mm. But I um, am 71, and I decided to uh, turn the reins over that very large organization to my successor, Kristen Wagner, who's doing a terrific yes. job. And um, I was looking for things that I could do to still make a difference. Mm-hmm. And so I've been on the board of NRB for a few years, and I knew they needed a general counsel. And one thing led to another, and I've come here on a part-time basis uh, as the general counsel of NRB, partly because I think that the uh, cho- choice of uh, protecting religious freedom and, re- and freedom of speech is really central to a lot of things that are going on in this country. Yes. Yeah. If we don't have the ability to preach the gospel, if we don't have the ability to tell truth in our society, right. both of which are under siege, uh, we don't really have America anymore because That's America right. is not based on uh, 
culture in a broad sense. It was not based on language. It was not based on, it was based on ideas mm-hmm. and ideals. And those ideals include that God is the controller of our hearts, minds, and souls, not government. Yes. That's called freedom of religion, freedom of speech. And so uh, totalitarianism, as opposed to other kinds of authoritarian governments, they always want to control what you believe, what you think, and what you say. And we see the shadow of totalitarianism falling over this country. We saw it particularly in the COVID time. You couldn't say that you didn't like the vaccines. You couldn't say that you thought the masks were stupid. Mm. You couldn't say a lot of things. You couldn't think those. If you said those things, you'd lose your job. Mm-hmm. You, you could you know, lose your ability to speak on the Internet, all kinds of things. And I say that's you know, technological totalitarianism, at least the shadow of it is the mm. beginning of it. Yeah. And we should be alarmed at the first instance of a, an encroachment on liberty. And so uh, a case that I'm, I'm now helping to litigate in California along with uh, – Tim Pools, Minds Incorporated, and the wonderful Babylon Bee, uh, <laughs> which just makes my whole day to be able to say Babylon Bee in right. a sentence, Yes, uh, is, is that uh, uh, California passed a law uh, forcing uh, social media companies to keep track and take action against people who use their uh, platforms to do uh, various kinds of speech. If, they call, if it's hate speech, if it's racism, if it is uh, misinformation or disinformation, or if it's extremism or radicalization, then all defined by the California Attorney General. It's not defined in the law. Mm-hmm. In all the press conference they were saying is we're here to clean up the Internet. They're not uh, interested in monitoring and tracking and judging trends. They're interested in siling, silencing people that the state of California doesn't like. Right. And they, right. Have, a, they have a history of doing that in uh, another case that I was involved in, but, but – you know, we're here, NRB is in, intervening for its members, yes. not on its own behalf, but on, on behalf of its members, because they're the, our members are the ones that stand up and speak up. And so we're going after it, and we're going to, I believe we've got a good shot against, against this law, because California cannot curtail speech on the basis they don't like what you're saying. Yeah, right. absolutely. And I think one of the things that I know that at the founding of this ministry, American Family Association, and certainly American Family Radio, Brother Don Wildman said that we will own these microphones. And the thought was, they are not going to silence us. We will not be silenced. But what we are seeing increasingly is that there are places, even online, we see where we thought, okay, we owned this space. So we thought we could say what we wanted. But there are areas and there are entities that have found a way to even silence us in the areas where we think we own those areas. So I'm wondering, as you look at the landscape, I I am aware that Daily Wire Plus just said they're taking all of their content to Twitter because of what's happening with YouTube. What is it that you think religious broadcasters need to be aware of when we are in these spaces, even though we have these microphones, there's still this sort of threat of having our First Amendment rights encroached upon? Well, the, the problem is, is that these agencies are not government. And the mm-hmm. First Amendment only literally applies to government. Now, the, these, these groups are telling the world, including congressional testimony and other places, that no, 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 we don't uh, discriminate on the basis of ideology or religion or political factors. Well, the reality is they do. Yeah. And, and when they say that in public, they're making a promise to consumers. And when they violate that, 
it may not be a violation of the First Amendment, but I believe it's a violation of the consumer protection laws of the states. Mm-hmm. Because if you lure people in saying, we're going to be neutral, we're going to come here, participate, we're going to sell data about you to everybody in the world. Right. Uh, you know, because you are the product on these. these exactly yeah, right. You are, that's what, you are what they're selling. Yeah. And so um, we think that, that, I think in particular, that that's a violation of consumer protection. And we're going to develop a strategy to, to start coming after that because they can't get away with saying they're neutral when, in fact, they're not. Absolutely. So in the meantime, for religious broadcasters, yeah. I think the reality – now, we understand the spiritual implications of silencing us. We understand what the adversary is after here, right? right? But when you talk practically about how we continue on in this age – what is your encouragement to religious broadcasters as we continue to produce content? Find as many channels, you know, duplicity, you know, get redundancy in place. Get a lot of ways to get your message out there. Mm. Uh, and, and so don't be content with things that are subject to any kind of uh, regulation. I mean, Franklin Graham was talking about this slightly different context, banking, insurance, and other things. Yeah. They're coming after I mean, um, uh, a big computer company attacked ADF. Uh, and shut off our services uh, uh, because they, wow. didn't, they didn't like what we said. And, right. um, and so we are in a war, uh, in, in a cultural war. And sometimes we're going to win these, sometimes we're going to lose, but we need to keep you know, as many channels of communication o- open as we can. And I think that the um, you know, Budweiser is learning right now. Absolutely. That, that if, How many cans can they buy back? That's right. That's right. No, I, I don't. I don't drink any kind of beer. And neither but, do we. Yeah, but just have but, to say because yeah, you said. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we, we got our, we got our, we got our virtue signaling going on here. Right. Right. Mike, yeah. listen. Here's what happens. If you say on air, "Well, I don't drink beer," and then we don't, but yeah. if we don't say you're, anything, you're do you know what letters. that means? You're going to yes. get letters. Yeah. So you heard it here. Will and Mickey drink beer? No, that's not what we just yeah. didn't yeah. want to compare. But, for being good. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> go ahead. I'm but sorry. anyhow, uh, the uh, they're learning that there's a there's a price to be paid, and yeah. I, I think I'm glad that they're learning that because I hope insurance companies, I hope banks, that's right. I hope uh, you know these internet companies are paying attention because there's a price to pay for bringing politics into the midst of ordinary business. They should just leave it alone. Mm. Just, you know, truly stare down the middle of the street and, you know, keep porn off. Mm-hmm. If, if they were as vigorous about keeping child porn Come off their on. sites as they were about keeping, you know, there are only two genders off their sites, Come on. then we Our would kids ha- would be a lot safer. You better believe it. <laughs> yeah. You better believe it. Yeah. And so uh, I, I, you know... It's a battle we've got to fight, yeah. and, and standing up is not an option. Yeah. What, what do you think about even the artificial intelligence, that stuff that's – as far as what yeah. you do and, yeah. and religious that's broadcasting, man, that seems like that can pose a big threat. Well, truth is the ultimate standard here, and artificial intelligence and truth has really little to do with it. I mean, um, my, one of my sons did an artificial intelligence story about me. Okay. <laughs> and oh boy. It, it got a lot of stuff right. Okay. Uh, but then it said I was born in Tennessee. I was in a military family. They got the wrong year. My birth- I was born in Arkansas, not Tennessee. My dad was a public school teacher and principal. Not in not in the he you know he served in World War II, but it was not a military family. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and you know just wrong. And so artificial intelligence and truth are not synonymous. Mm. And so uh, we got to be defenders of the truth. Amen. And so anything that allows lies to perpetrate. 
and and pretend to be truth. Yeah. We got to pay attention to. We got to do what we can to stop it. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything that encourages you as you look out and you see what Christians are doing in this country and on many fronts, not only in in broadcasting and things like that, but is there anything? Because there's a lot of dark. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. What encourages you today? Well, you guys encourage me. Yay. Yeah, because you are of the example of parents who are doing what I think is the most important thing, and that is you're training your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And if I could just, you know, if, if there was one thing I could have, um, you know, power of in debate, they call it fiat, just, you know, mm-hmm. you say it and it happens. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I would require every Christian parent to make sure that they train their kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You don't have to homeschool. You can find another way to do that. You can use a Christian school. There's other other options. But if we don't teach our kids the truth, I mean, the, the Bible says in Romans 1, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of mm-hmm. God, God turned them over to a depraved mind to do that which ought not to be done. You want to know what's, what's going wrong in our country? It's because Christians have been turning their people mm-hmm. over to kids that didn't retain the knowledge of God in the mm-hmm. way they taught them. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just natural. And I see more parents paying attention to that. Yes, and absolutely. So I'm encouraged by that. Yeah. And during COVID... The number of homeschoolers doubled in this yes, country. Praise God. And that, I think about 80% of those new homeschoolers are going to stick it out, yes. which is a great conversion rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and more parents are standing up to the public schools and say, you can't do that to my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and that will improve the public schools. Yeah. You know, I, I'd prefer that they come out and do Christian school. or home, yeah. But I want them to clean up the, the public schools as well. Yeah. That's yeah. a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I see parents getting involved with the lives of their kids and I think that's good and that's healthy and that's that's a, a sign of the, what's right in America. And he yeah. would basically command what God has already commanded. That's that right. That we raise up our children. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So when we think about the fear factor that's involved in doing the things that you have just said and we think of a lot of people who are considering what the next steps are in this country, um, being told what to say, being yeah. told how to say it, being told even now what to feel and to think on issues. I think it may be an oversimplification for me to say boldness is required. But, but isn't that the truth, that boldness is required for us to faithfully stand in our day? Absolutely. I mean, uh, Joshua, they're standing on the edge of the promised land, and he's giving them lessons as they're go- about mm. to go in. And yeah. he says, be strong and of good courage. Mm. And, and, and he says, don't turn from the scriptures to the right or the left. You've you got to do what God said. And the lesson of Joshua, the overarching lesson of Joshua's life is, don't be a coward. Because look at what <laughs> happened to the tw- not only the, the ten spies, but the whole nation of Israel, because they walked in fear, yeah. mm. not faith, not in boldness, not in yeah. courage. And so uh, Christians that are fearful are in sin. Mm, and so, on, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power and a sound mind. Amen. So, you know, I'm fine with people getting upset with the, the, the injustices that they see. Mm. But if they get fearful because mm-hmm. of the injustices, they're not thinking about it right because they've taken they're thinking it depends on them to solve it. Yeah. And if oh. it depends on us to solve it, there's a lot of reason to be really afraid. Right. Right. Uh, and. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know that I have time to tell, tell the whole story, but I was in, in the Soviet Union in 1988, and I delivered a Bible to a guy when, when the looked like the KGB was watching us, but we, we did it anyway, mm-hmm. and he, he, he was afraid, I was afraid. Now, I thought about him later. 
courage isn't fearlessness. Courage is doing what's right, even mm. when you have a good reason to be afraid. Yes. And so that's what I saw in that man, and that's what we need in our society. And I see more of that today, and I am encouraged because I see courage. That is so good. You know, I I think it's really jolting. It grabs a lot of, and we're coming to the end of the program here, but I think it grabs our attention to hear that to walk in fear that that this is sinful. Yeah. Right? Because I think in our current cultural climate, we have found a way to wear fear almost as a badge. Like there's something about that that we feel like, well, I just want to be careful. I don't want to say the wrong things. And we've almost been (laughs) fed our fear. And so I would say, and and last comments from you, Brother Mike, I would say that overcoming that requires uh, being steeped in God's word. It does indeed, because, you know, if it depends on me, there's, you know, there's a lot of big stuff out there. Right, that's right. (laughs) But God, you know, greater is he that is us. And he that is in the world. We, we walk in that. We can walk in confidence. Amen. Right. Amen. Right. Mike Ferris, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for laughing with us. <laughs> Lawyers can be so serious oh, sometimes, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> so I know. Thank you for having a good time with us. All right. We have come to the end of today's program. We'll be back tomorrow for day three of NRB. We don't know what guests or who we have on tomorrow, but if Jade has been working. She'll tell us. If she's eating, then she won't tell us. We won't know. Um, But thank you so much for listening. We will be back tomorrow. Until then, Lord willing. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.